Well, anyway, I want to kind of talk to you a little bit about something that you need to be sold on because if, if you really don't know where you stand on certain things, you know, you can be easily swayed because it's so important. This is what the Word of God says, and it's important. But I want you to look there on the top of the notes. When the premise is wrong, then the conclusion is wrong. You know, if you start off wrong, you're going to run up in the wrong direction. You're going to go wrong. And as I say here, I detect the threads of Calvinism spreading throughout many churches. Because it, it's true. It is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And when some of the reasons because of preachers that are on radio and on television. And you listen to a lot of the pastors that are in a lot of churches. And it's getting very strong. And it's a, a damaging teaching. And I'll show you that very briefly. Even there's times when FBC people, Florida Bible College people, that have been to FBC and graduated, and they still can get caught up into this stuff. And that's a shame. But it happens. So you can't do anything about those that do believe that and get carried away into Calvinism. But it's, it's something that I, I don't even like talking about it because it's, it's in there. But sometimes you have to fight error with truth. And you have to say, this is what somebody says, and this is what the Word of God says. The Apostle Paul was continually fighting error. And you read some of the books, and you'll find out he just took it on, and he taught the truth. So, anyway, I wanted to explain just a little bit. If you look there at the Calvinist beginning point, because you, you always have to have a, a reason. Now, I don't know the original reason why some people get sidetracked. Maybe it might be because, you know, they don't want to fulfill that responsibility of preaching the gospel. I mean, here I am, and let's say I'm married and got three kids, and I'm comfortable, got a comfortable living, I have a nice home, and whatever. And to hear somebody tell you that you've got to be willing to go anywhere and everywhere. Are you willing to go? Even though God may not lead you, but are you willing to do what you can? And a way of getting out of that responsibility is to say that well, I'm not really responsible. I really don't have to do it. Or if you're afraid even to witness to anybody. Well, if I don't, somebody else will. That used to plague my mind a little bit. If I don't do it, somebody else will. Well, that, that sounds good. But I couldn't prove it with chapter and verse. If I don't do it, somebody else will. It means somebody else would have won all the people that I've won to Christ. So I really wasn't needed. I mean, God would have saved them anyway. So little by little, you get into predestination. God has predetermined who's going to get saved anyway. And whatever the will of God is. You've heard Doris Day. She sung that song. Whatever will be, will be. I don't think she was a Calvinist. No. <laughs> but whatever will be, will be. So in other words, have you ever listened to the Muslims? As, if Allah wills, if Allah wills, I'm going to blow myself up with dynamite. If Allah wills. I'm going to take as many people with me as possible, as Allah wills. Well, my whole family got blown up, as Allah wills. That's enough for me to not to like Allah, whoever Allah is. Now, I love Jehovah. But look at the first statement here. And if you'll look down on the left there, it's just T-U-L-I-P, TULIP. And it simply is an acronym for what their position is. And the T stands for the total depravity of man. Now, I believe that man is dead. That means he's separated from God. 
and that he cannot save himself. The Bible tells over and over again how that there is none righteous, not one. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none good, not one, not righteous, nobody. All have sinned and that all are dead. So take your Bible and look there with me in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. But being depraved doesn't mean it's total inability to think and to reason, to make decisions, to be responsible. You see, if we're nothing more than robots without a will, uh, then God is the one that's at fault for everything that we say and do because, you know, after all, uh, we don't have a will of our own. We can't make decisions. We can't choose because we're dead. We're dead. We're all a bunch of dead people walking around. The Bible simply means that you're separated from God. You're spiritually dead. You're not, you're, you're alive, but you're not connected to God. You've been spiritually severed from the source of life. Here in Ephesians in chapter 2, look what he says in verse 1. And you hath he quickened to me to be made alive, who were dead in trespasses. You were dead because of sins, sins of omission and sins of commission. Things you did do that you shouldn't have done, and things that you should have done that you didn't do. And you're sinners by choice, and you're sinners by nature. You were born a sinner, and even by nature you sin because it's your choice. You choose to. So a man is guilty, yes, because he has sinned against God. But he sinned even by choice. You have, why does the Bible then say, if a man knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. He knoweth to do good, and doeth it not. So evidently, he's held accountable for what he knows and what he does. So we have a responsibility given to everybody in the human race because God holds every man accountable. So God didn't um, make us a bunch of little robots, and we don't have a choice or will. So some people believe that man is so depraved that he can't even believe on his own. He can't choose. So what they believe is, is that God in heaven comes down and he gives you the faith to believe. So God literally is saving you before you ever trust him. That's heresy. That is not the truth. But that's what some people will teach. Not all of them are as strong as others, but it is a teaching that is permeating a lot of people in a lot of churches. And so, as he says here, this was our nature. See that in verse 3? Among whom also we all had our behavior, manner of life, in times past in the desires, lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. So evidently we did make some decisions. But we made decisions after the lust of the flesh. And we made decisions according to the pride of life and the lust of the eyes. So we made choices. And we were by nature children of wrath. And as it says here, that we were rebellious nature, the children of wrath. It means that we made decisions of disobedience. We broke God's law. We overstepped the boundary. Therefore, God says... You are going to have to pay the penalty, which is death, separation from God for all eternity. 
And then he makes a statement down here in verse 7, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We were dead. We've been quickened and made alive. Now, this being made alive from being dead, that is by grace. That is your salvation. You are dead, and you're made alive. They say that faith is the gift. Because of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Faith is not the gift. Salvation is the gift. Salvation is why saved by grace. Saved. Salvation. It's by grace. And therefore, every man has the ability to trust. And some people trust in a false god. A false religious system. They trust in themselves. But God says they place their faith in the wrong thing. That's why he has commanded every man everywhere to repent. Change your mind. Every man. Because what you trust in won't save you. And you need to repent, change your mind, and trust Christ as Savior. Because the logical explanation is that if, if God gives to a man faith, then why doesn't he give it to everybody? And if that's the case, everybody's going to heaven. Everybody's saved. But since they know that everybody's not going to heaven, everybody's not saved, some people are going to hell, what makes the difference? So you are the world. I am God. I like this illustration already. Now, I can't say that I love all of you, because I'm not going to save all of you. But since you're dead, if I bring any of you back to life, that's grace. Because none of you deserve it. So it will be my choice. I am the one that's going to choose. And so I'm going to choose to save you and you. And I pick out a few people. And so because I know who I chose... I only have to send my son to die for those that I chose. So see, Christ don't need to die for everybody. He just needs to die for the ones that I'm going to save. There's no sense in dealing the other. It's a waste of time. That might be good if you were the one that he chose. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Look there in your note. You see the T. Since man is totally depraved, he cannot respond to God unless God takes the initiative and first gives to man the faith to believe. But see, if you take it in the rightful way, we are to preach the gospel, the good news, and faith cometh by hearing. Not because of God's choice, but because a man heard the gospel. Who did God say preach the gospel to? Everybody. Every creature. So if that's the case, then God hasn't already chose who he's going to save, except he's going to save all of those that are in Christ. And if you're in him, God has chosen to save all those that are in Christ. And he's also chosen not to save those that are not in Christ. So he says, preach the gospel everywhere, and those that will respond and accept Christ have eternal life. Those that do not will not. 
Well, man, put it this way. You know, the whosoever wills are the ones that believe, and the whosoever wants are the ones that don't believe. So God has chosen to save all those whosoever will believe, and God has chosen not to save those whosoever won't believe. Do you understand that? Ain't that simple? That is so simple. So, look at the next statement. If this is true, it is only reasonable to assume that only those to whom God gives faith to believe can truly ever be saved. If you can only be saved because God gave you the faith to believe, then you're the only ones that can be saved. So evidently, God didn't give it to everybody. So what was the criteria? What did God use as His standard for choosing? And if He's not a respecter of persons, which is true, He's not a respecter of persons. But what did God use as a standard to choose some and not others? Well, if that belief is true, see, it follows a logical sequence. If you are saved only because God gives you the faith to believe, then you can only believe because God gave it to you. Therefore, God then must evidently have unconditional election. See, that's the next one. The U stands for unconditional election. You didn't do anything. You didn't meet any condition to be elected. God is the only one that made that choice. Therefore, salvation is not man's choice. This is according to the theology of majority of Calvinists. Now, some people say they're only a one-point or a two-point or a three-point Calvinist. Most of them are five, but don't know it. I have one man tell me, I'm a six-point. Okay. Unconditional election. God elects to save certain people and not others. See, I don't like that because it's not taught in the Bible. Because then you get into the teaching of, okay, you can't honestly say, if I was a Calvinist preacher, I could not stand in this pulpit and say, God so loved the world. Because he wouldn't. He would only be able to say, God loves the elect. He might say the word world, but in his mind, he's, he's thinking only the elect. Because he doesn't tell the whole thing. I have been in conversation with many in the last oh, month that mince words. They try to deceive you by the words that they use, and they're very careful of how they say something. Because they're not being honest and straightforward. But because I've been doing this for a few years, I can detect the tenets of Calvinism. They don't have to say that they're a Calvinist. But if I listen to you long enough, I can tell you just about what you believe. When I witness to people, I can listen to them a little bit and I can, okay, you're a Seventh-day Adventist. I can listen to somebody else and I say, you're, you're Pentecostal. I listen to somebody else and you can tell because they reveal their religious beliefs. You think a man that's a Mormon is going to try to convince you to be a Baptist? You listen to him long enough and you'll know he's a Mormon. I walked by a booth one time. We had a Arvada festival and there was a, a booth set up there and this, we had one, but I walked down the, the thing and there was this guy in there and he was for the family. And I says, um, are you Mormon? Oh no, this has nothing to do with Mormons. Nothing to do with religion of Mormons. I says, um, this is put out by the Mormons. 
He said, this is just to reach the family. We're not trying to proselyte or do anything like that. I says, are you a Mormon? Yes, but my wife was not a Mormon. My wife was not a Mormon. I said, she was not a Mormon. I mean, she is now. Well, she is now. So you're a Mormon and she's a Mormon. And you're talking about the family. And this is just for the family. I says, you are deceitful. Because you're not being up front with the people. You're trying to hide what you really are. You're a Mormon. If you told those people up front, you are a Mormon. And what you believe, because you are a Mormon, they wouldn't listen to you. And you can do the same thing with a, a Jehovah's Witness. Can't you, James? It don't take long. You can talk to them and you can find out where they're coming from. Well, you can do the same thing with people that are Calvinists. They don't have to say, I am a Calvinist. I can listen to you after a while. I can tell whether or not you are. And I can pretty well tell you what tenet you believe of the tulip. Now notice, if this is true, where it has the unconditional election, if this is true, then it also means that God has to pick or choose, elect whom he would give this faith in order that they might believe. Because if you can't be saved unless he gives you the faith, then he had to choose somebody to give it to. See, it follows a logical progression of reasoning. And so whenever you don't follow what the Bible says, but if you listen to what the Bible says, God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Whosoever believeth. Well, see, they can't say that God so loved the world. Only the elect. Christ died for the sins of the world. Well, Christ died for the sins of the chosen few. See, their gospel is not my gospel. He said, well, we're so close. We're compatible. No, we're not. We're not saying the same thing. So look there in Ephesians chapter 1 and look in verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. See there, it's all according to the good pleasure of his will. He has chosen to save whoever he wants to save, and he doesn't have to save everybody. And if he saves anybody, it would still be grace. I'd make a good Calvinist. I know what they believe. About as good as what they believe in. But, you know, I, I didn't read everything just as clear to you. See there, verse 4? According as he hath chosen, hath chosen us where? in him. Those two little words changes everything. Changes everything. You take out those two little words and it changes everything. But because those two little words are there... You only get in Christ because of your decision when you trusted Christ as your Savior. You see what he says there in verse 13? Verse 12 makes this statement that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. We trusted. In whom ye also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. See, the scripture says you heard the word. Faith cometh by hearing. And you believed, and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
What they like to say is that all these people out there, I don't know why and I don't know how God chose to save me as though I'm something special over all the rest of y'all. And so that's why I'm saved because God from eternity past looked down through that long telescope of time and saw Yankee Arnold down there and says, you know, he, now he's worth saving. He's worth saving. The mother rat thinks, nah, but that guy, I, I want him. I want him. Now, you can believe that if you want to, but it's not the truth. As God looked down through that long telescope of time, he saw the world and he so loved the world. And that he was willing to die for the world. So that anybody, whosoever, will believe. And yes, I believe that, yes, God can look down there and he can say, yes, Yankee trusted me as Savior. And a little man trusted Christ as Savior. Well, look at what James trusts. God may know the future. He knows our decision, but he doesn't make our decision. It was because we decided. We heard the gospel and we trusted him as our Savior. If you get it mixed up, it'll change your philosophy, your whole philosophy of life. It'll change the message that you teach and preach to other people. Look at this. Just look real quick in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. Look in verse 13. Where it says, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. See there? And they usually stop right there. God has chosen to save you. You were chosen to salvation. And they'll quote a verse like this as though, Yankees never heard of this verse before. Boy, I've never heard this one. It's like somebody wants to get me with, and they'll ask real smart, evidently you've never read James chapter 2. I say, you mean verse 14? And it says, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. But now notice the last part of the verse. How did he choose? Through sanctification of the Spirit and what? Belief of the truth. When you believe the truth, see, there would be no part that I would have to do if God simply gave me the faith to believe, and that's why I'm saved, because I was chosen salvation because God gave me the faith to believe. But that's not what it said. Because you'll see there in verse 14, whereunto he called you by what? By our gospel. He called by the gospel. Who does he call? The word. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And when you hear, he that heareth my word, he, anybody, he that heareth my word and believeth, he puts the responsibility upon us. If we will believe, we can be saved. And even Jesus Christ, when he was here, and he would preach the same message, and some would not believe, and some would not come to him. He says, you will not come unto me that you might have life. What he should have, should have said, I didn't give you the faith to believe. You didn't come to me because you can't. See, but that's, it's contrary to Scripture. I don't care how reasonable it sounds. That's humanistic reasoning, but it's not the Bible. It's not the Bible. Look at the next statement here. The L stands for limited atonement. If these entire ifs are true, it stands to reason that Christ would only have to die for those he chose to save. This is what they believe. He only had to die for the ones that he chose to save. Well, don't that make sense? 
It doesn't matter what makes sense. Is what did God say? Christ died for the sins of the whole world. And in 1 John in chapter 2, in verse 2, where he makes the statement, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. And then I've seen someone come and say, well, that doesn't mean that. I mean, just in the last week. That doesn't mean that. Then what does it mean? I believe it means for the sins of the whole world. See, they've got to change all these scriptures because it goes contrary to their reasoning. It's not because they're spiritually enlightened. It's because they're mentally darkened. They can't see it. The next point, the I stands for irresistible grace. Now, I know about irresistible charm. That's what I put on Betty, and she couldn't resist. But this is irresistible grace. If that's true, then it also makes sense that God's demand to believe must be irresistible because God has determined it to happen. You can't resist. They say you can't resist God's grace. And yet it says in the book of Acts, as Stephen was preaching his wonderful one-time sermon, he preached the sermon and they killed him for it. And he says, you do always resist the Holy Ghost. They could resist, but they'll say, no, you can't resist it. They did. The scripture says so. But it means something else. It never means what, because it goes contrary to what they've already predetermined to believe. And they will quote you the Hebrew and the Greek. I don't care how much Hebrew and how much Greek you have. This is the book. It's already been translated. And I don't have to know Hebrew and Greek to know truth. I know this book and I can go backwards and forwards and I believe the Bible teaches itself what it says and what it means. I have better understanding without reading anybody's commentary. Most of them, I get confused. And they always seem to jump over all those hard, complicated scriptures. You know, the ones that I want to know about, they just kind of jump over those because they can't explain them. But you can understand most scripture if you use the clarity of the gospel as the determining factor. Because it don't change. There's a lot of verses that seem to say, but if you use this, well, I know it's not of works. It cannot be any way that it's of works. So therefore, this verse that seems to say might mean something else. And it usually does. The last thing here, P stands for the perseverance of the saints. Now here comes the really big problem. How does one prove that he is definitely one of the chosen to believe? In other words, how do I know that I'm the one that God chose to save over somebody else? Well, because, you see, they don't take it as you trusted Christ as your Savior from hell. That's shallow. It's because I wanted a personal relationship with God. Now, that sounds so spiritual. That's, that's so much closer. That's so, so spiritual. Who wouldn't want a personal relationship with God? But that's not why I trusted Christ. I wasn't interested in a personal relationship with God. I just didn't want to go to hell. I needed a Savior. Because if I died, well, I'm working on my personal relationship. I'm not against it. Just understand. I trusted the Lord because I needed a Savior. Christ came to seek and to save. Because if it's 
my personal relationship, then, okay, if that's the reason that I got saved, that's how I know I'm saved, because my relationship with God. Well, how do you know you have a relationship with God? Well, you've got to look at your life. So if you look at your life, does your life reveal that you're walking with God? Does your life reveal that He's the Lord of your life? Does uh, your life reveal that, you know, you've turned from all of your sins and you've committed your life to Christ? Your life has to prove that. And if it doesn't prove that, then evidently you were not one of the chosen. So then you have a reason to question or doubt your salvation because you have to persevere. And if you don't persevere in the faith, then it's a sign you never were in it. Even John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul will tell you they really don't know if they're going to make it. They hope so. They're trying. Look at the next statement. You are now in a situation that demands a changed life as the proof or evidence of a personal relationship with God. If there is no change, one must by progressive reasoning come to the conclusion that if there is no change in one's life, he must doubt his salvation. Or if there is a break in obedience, it would and should produce doubt that one is ever saved. Therefore, there has to be the perseverance of the saints. I believe in the perseverance of God. And I do believe that God will persevere. I believe he will keep saved what he said he would save. And that I am persuaded and convinced that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him. Him. He's my savior. I had nothing to do with it. Before or after. Look at the next statement. Since perseverance of the saints is a must for self-evidence, their works become the proof of one's salvation. This is why they must turn every verse for service into a verse that proves salvation. Plus, they will turn verses that seems to say you must live it or show you have it into their security blanket. Because that's what they use as their security. Look at me. I've got the works. So I want you to very quickly just look at this with me in the book of Matthew and chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And they will not see, they are describing themselves. I had one man write me a little email and he says, Yankee, don't you know, you shall know them by their fruit. Ah, why didn't I know that? Why didn't I see that? Ah. So in Matthew chapter 7, Look there in verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. See, that's right there. All right. But who is he talking about? The fruit is those people that believed what those false teachers had to say. You see there in verse 15, beware of false prophets. So false prophets are false teachers. They teach false things. But there's people who believe the false things. Now, look at the... Fruit of their ministry. Look at what their people that told them this are saying. So we look in verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. It shows you that the Lord, Lord, was the Lord of their life. They made Christ the Lord of their life. They even turned from their sins and lived a good life and all that stuff. But look what he says. He says, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. These are the people that listen to the false teachers. And when he says, you shall know them by their fruit, the false teachers have fruit. They got people that believe false teaching. The false teaching is that which people are trusting in to get them because they expect to make it. They're trusting in their works. And that's why he made this statement in verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. No, I used to know you, but then you lost your salvation. I don't know you anymore. No, he said, I never knew. You never were saved. Never were. You see, you're saved once you trust Christ as Savior. And God gives you eternal life, and you're going to heaven whenever you die. And he'll never cast you out and never lose you. Just because I try to keep that separate, does that mean that I don't want people to live a godly life? I don't know anyone, and I'm telling you the truth, that wants people to live godly more than I do. They probably are. I mean, there's probably a million of them, but I do. I want you to live godly, holy, but not to prove you're saved. But if you are saved, I believe it's a wise thing to do. Because if you don't, I do believe that God has a Ways and Means Committee on how to deal with rebellious children. But I do believe you're still His child, even if you don't serve Him. I believe God will chasten and discipline you. But see, they can't believe all of the chastening part because they say, well, if you're really saved, you're not going to do that. So then why would God have to chasten His children if they're not going to do that? But they do that. Well, then you must not have been saved. And they never sin. Look at the last statement on your page. This is a by-works righteousness that Paul warned about in Philippians 3.9. When a man cannot be sure he is saved because he simply trusted Christ. But he can because of his life. If you can't know you're saved because you simply took God at His word. But you can because you look at your life. What are you trusting in? You trust in your works. You're not dependent upon what Christ said and what He did. You're dependent upon what you are doing. You take away what you're doing. You still going to go? You can take away every good deed I have done in 53 years. It will not affect my salvation. Can't. Because He's the Savior and not me. He didn't need my help for me to get saved, and He don't need my help to stay saved. We are saved by the power of God. And He says that we have an inheritance that's incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I have a reservation already made in heaven. And then the next day I did something bad. Cancel that reservation for Yankee. I got right again. Put that reservation back. He's back in now. Take it out. Put it back. Take it out again. And that's just in the first minute. Is that what you would believe? Or would you believe that, you know, I believe that God so loved the world. And when Christ died, he died for all the sins of all the world. And anybody who hears the gospel and believes can have eternal life. 
That's what makes it worth it. See, if God is only going to save those that he wants to save, and he's already done, done that, and he's already done picked and choose, what are we playing this game of witnessing for? Why are we sending missionaries anyway? They're going to be saved anyway. God's already picked them. It's a waste of our time, waste of our money. Why would we play that game? I don't believe God plays those games and wastes my time. I believe it is serious, and I do believe God needs us, and that we need to witness. We need to reach people. Isn't it amazing that some of the people that have listened on radio or on the Internet, they trust the Lord? We don't find out about all of them, but we have heard from a few of them. Oh, they had to have been saved anyway. Chapter and verse. Find it. You can't find it. It's not in there. So what we do is important. Our meeting together and praying for one another and giving to God, it is important. Those people that have trusted the Lord and ranch the other night. How many of you have trusted the Lord? Three. Three trust the Lord and ranch. That's okay. They would have been saved anyway. Okay, where? By who? By who? Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. See, every time I do this, I'm revealing my philosophy. This is my basic theology. This is my Bible doctrine. And yet it's so simple. But a lost man can understand it. I've had many people say, you know, I've never understood the simplicity of the gospel until I saw you do this thing with the wallet trick. I didn't know it was a trick, but it's the wallet trick. God loves us, hates our sin. And see, I can actually tell everybody that's lost. Christ came into the world to save that which was lost. Everybody. If you're lost, he came to save you. That's what he said. Then if he did, he loves all of us. Not just some of us. He loves all of us. And then if he does, then all of us are condemned. Then all of us are guilty. And all of us have to die. And God wants all of us to go to heaven. But we have to be perfect, and we're not perfect. So this old man, he can't go. God says you can't save yourself. You can't change anything. You can't alter anything. But one thing you can do, because you're separated from God for all eternity, one thing you can do is if you'll believe. See, God has given to everybody the ability to trust. You're trusting that pew to hold you up. A lost man can do that. You can trust the light to come on when you flip the light switch. A lost man can do that. A lost man can trust that the car is going to start when he turns ignition. He can trust that if he drinks that cold glass of water, it's going to satisfy his thirst. See, everybody demonstrates faith in every area of their life all the time, every day. But when you hear about the good news of that if you'll put your faith in Christ as a Savior, see, that doesn't mean, you, well, you're dead, you can't do that. You can do everything else. Why can't you do that? Because you can. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because it separates us from him. What Christ did for one person, he did for everybody. He took all the sin of all the world, paid for it, came back from the dead and said, if we would believe that he did it for us, he would put that payment to my account and give me a new birth. See, my new birth is perfect. I go to heaven in my new birth, not my old birth. God gives me eternal life. It's free. 
Yes, God has predetermined before the foundations of the world to save every man that believes. I believe. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. Or if you're watching by internet, I want you to know more than anything else, God does love you. And he did send his son to die for your sins. And if you will believe, he will save you. Give you eternal life, and you will not go to hell. God's word on it. That's why he came, to save you. Would you trust him? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, if you've never trusted Christ, would you trust him right now? Just in your own mind, say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe Christ paid for my sin, and I'm going to trust him. It's my only hope of going to heaven. And friend, if you'll make that decision, I'd like to pray for you. So in, with heads bowed and eyes closed, is there anyone else? Say, yes, pray for me. I'll trust Christ as my Savior. Anyone at all. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time together to be able to come and study your word, and we pray for wisdom. There's so much damage being done by people twisting and changing what you had to say. Bless us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.